Well, amen and good morning. We've had a, a wonderful time of worship. We've had uh, actually a, an amazing few weeks uh, around here at First Baptist Friendswood. And before we dive in, I want to invite you. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26 today. So if you want to find that, you can. But uh, last Sunday, uh, as some of you were here and I was here, uh, we had 13 people upstairs in our B building joining the church, which is exciting. So 13 new, uh, new family members. That's, that's awesome. And then I shared with you uh, last week uh, about um, preaching camp. I had a great time down in Palacios, the oldest camp west of the Mississippi. This past week, uh, this past week we had Connect Camp, and I think we have a few photos of that. And, uh, and this here... This here is uh, the trophy, a, a replica of the trophy that the team wins. And if you don't know anything about Connect Camp, uh, it's actually how Lauren uh, and her family uh, got involved in our church, was through Connect Camp. And, and oh, by the way, Ashton Nagel on the uh, steel guitar over here uh, was pretty cool today. And so um, a, as we had this camp this week, 150 kids, no chairs in the room here, worshiping, having a grand time, lots of fun. And there are three tribes, uh, Taka, Sulu, and Kava, and uh, this year, uh, Kava, the green, no, is that right? Taka, Taka, see, I can't even keep it straight. Taka uh, was the big winner uh, this year uh, for that, but it was a wonderful way. We had at least seven kids uh, accept Christ as their Savior, uh, and... And it's a great way for us to, to invest in families. And so thank you. Our students did a great job helping. We had several volunteers help. It, it was a wonderful, uh, wonderful week. Uh, and last week, we also determined that we're going to launch a search for new worship minister. We're so grateful uh, for all the volunteers that help us, uh, Dylan and others, and Brandon, who comes in uh, a couple of times a month to help us as well. Uh, but we're going to be working through that. And, and so I'm excited about the days ahead here at our church. We have lots of things to be excited about. Uh, and uh, as we look today, as we think about today, uh, today is really about remembering. Uh, remembering, uh, but also looking forward with anticipation uh, to a great day. Uh, and so we've sung about that, uh, that it's good to sing about all that God's done for us. Sometimes we like to think uh, about what God's done for us. But the reason we're gathered here today, and we gather every Sunday, is so that we can actually sing together, that we can, as a family of faith, sing and celebrate and, and express publicly the goodness of God. And, and that's why we also come to this moment where together, as the people of God, we remember uh, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's one of the institutions, the ordinances of the church to come together to remember uh, this act of Jesus Christ uh, to die for us. And, and, and as we think about that, uh, it, it's surrounded by a meal. So the context of what happened here was a meal. And I don't know if you've ever sat down at a meal and, and took a bite of something and you thought, hmm, this is supposed to taste one way, but what I just put in my mouth was very different than that. Like you have, a, you have an expectation of what you're about to eat. And when it's not that, it's very jarring. It's often true also with beverages. So there's one person in our family who loves Diet Coke. And, and I don't like Diet Coke. I'm more of a root beer, Dr. Pepper, Coke, like the real thing. Uh, 
And, and, and so oftentimes, sometimes, uh, I will accidentally take a drink of what I think is root beer, Dr. Pepper, or Coke. And it's not. <laughs> and I, and I want to gag. It happened to me just yesterday. She doesn't even know it. Uh, it happened yesterday. I was sitting in the living room. Uh, she had been gracious enough to go to Sonic and, and buy me actually a cherry limeade, because if it's Sonic, I'll do cherry limeade. And I forgot I put my cherry limeade next to me, and I got up, I saw something, uh, a drink over there, and I went and just grabbed it. Didn't look if I just looked. I would have seen red and not brownish black, whatever Diet Coke is. And I took a drink. Oh, it's the worst, worst. If you love Diet Coke, God bless you. Uh, but but there's, there's this challenge there. When I was a kid, uh, my, my family loved seafood. So when I was a kid, we would go to this seafood buffet occasionally. And the first time we ever went, uh, uh, you go through the line, you look, you just, you know, I, I'm a kid, boy, boy. So food is good, right? And lots of it. So I'm just going down, going down. And so I get to the table. I start eating what I believe uh, is a chicken leg. And so I eat two of these chicken legs. We finish the entire meal, and right before the bill comes, my stepdad says, hey, how, how was that chicken? I said, oh, it was good. He said, that wasn't chicken. That was a frog leg. So that was my first experience with frog legs. You know what I said? Tastes like chicken. Exactly right. That's what I said. Tastes like chicken. Uh, lots of things do. And, and so there's, there's a sense in which this account in the Scripture is that kind of thing. The 12 disciples are coming to a meal that they had prepared in an, in an upstairs room. That's why I call it the upper room. Why? Because it was upstairs. Uh, God is not a God of confusion. Uh, it was upstairs. And so they had prepared this meal upstairs in the upper room to remember, to remember what God had done centuries before in saving the people of God, Israel, by the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. And so they're expecting this meal of remembrance about something that happened centuries before and their people continue to celebrate, to remember how God delivered them. But they're going to get something very different. And so let's look at Matthew 26. If you have your Bible open, we're going to begin reading in verse 20 and kind of break the passage up a little bit. It says this in Matthew 26, verse 20. Uh, by the way, uh, for those of you who've been around the last few weeks, I got new contacts. Praise the Lord, I can see. I can see. They're not perfect, but they're better. So when it was evening, verse 20 says... He reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? 
He said to him, you have said so. The disciples are around this meal, all 12 of them. Around this, not just any old meal, but a a significant meal. An important meal in the history of Israel. It's a a meal of deliverance. A a meal of sort of serious nature. But also a meal of celebration. It's serious, but it's celebratory because... And remember that the sacrifice that it took to cover their doorposts. It, it, it's the, the sacrifice to remember how, how God saved them, set them free, how he delivered them. And so they want to celebrate their freedom, their, their connection to God. But in the midst of this meal where it's, it's semi-serious, it's, it's important, it's a remembrance, but it's also a celebration. In the middle of that, Jesus changes the whole mood. He interrupts and says, uh, hey guys, pay attention. One of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to turn your back on me. One of you is going to hand me over to the Romans. One of you is going to sell me out. One of you is going to betray me. Now, as I've said before, when we look at this passage, when we receive the Lord's Supper, they didn't do what our culture often does when something goes wrong. In our culture, if Jesus would have said, one of you is going to betray me, we would have been looking around the room like, oh yeah, I've had my eye on him for quite some time. I'm sure it was him. Oh yeah, you remember when he said... I bet that's the clue. But no, they didn't do that. No, they, they looked inward because they all recognized their frailty. And they asked the, the question, is it I, Lord? They were sad. They were sad to discover that perhaps by their actions they would dishonor the Lord. It's probably something that you and I should take in for a moment, that, that, that it should, should cause sorrow for us when we dishonor the Lord. They were sorrowful because they knew one of them was going to turn their back. And the truth is, all but one did turn their back on Jesus. Only one of the 12 stayed true in the moment. And so here we get to what has to happen, right? This actually had to happen. The the betrayal of Jesus Christ had to happen. Jesus demonstrates that he is equal with God because he knows what's going to happen. He already knows the future. He knows what's going to happen. He realizes that there's going to be one, Judas, who will sell him for some pieces of silver. He'll be turned over the Roman government and he's going to die on a cross. He knew it was going to happen. But the reality of this moment is God's plan, God's sovereign plan doesn't negate our human responsibility. It doesn't eliminate our human responsibility. God had a divine sovereign plan that Jesus would be born of a virgin, live a perfect life without sin, 
He would go to a cross at Calvary and he would die to pay the penalty of all of our sin. That was God's sovereign plan. But that doesn't eliminate, that doesn't negate our human responsibility for turning our back on God. And so Judas, the one who would betray, joins in. Is it I, Rabbi, and gives a little sign of disrespect right there. When everyone else had called him Lord, Judas hides behind Rabbi. A cover-up for his betrayal. And Jesus says, you have said so. That's like, uh, yep, I know and you know it's you. Like, yep, I've had my eye on you. <laughs> You're the one. You're it. And then it doesn't record it in Matthew's gospel, but in John it says that Judas got up and left. Now, that's part of the, like the white space in our Bible. There's lots of black and then red where Jesus speaks in some Bibles. Lots of white space. Like, did no one pay attention? Did no one notice that Judas left? How come no one else was leaving? That, that would have been like, is that a signal? We get to look back after, you know, two centuries or two, two millennia of, of looking back and thinking about this. But in the moment, maybe nobody thought about that. Oh, Judas got something to do. Well, yeah, he's got something to do. Go tell the Romans. This is where you're going to find him. And so, even though they're sad and sorrowful and Jesus kind of changes the tone of the, of the meal, the meal doesn't stop. They keep eating. And look in verse 26. Jesus provides a, a second twist to this Passover meal. As they were eating... Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so here we are now at the second interruption. They, they've, they've eaten, and then Jesus says, hey, one of you are going to betray me, and then they keep eating. And he stands up again, interrupts the meal, and this one is a significant interruption. Not like the other one wasn't, but this is about to change. Jesus is about to change the meaning of a meal that they've practiced for thousands of years. In an instant, he's changing the meaning of a meal, of something that an entire nation has remembered year after year after year after year after year. And he's bringing new meaning to it. With the bread, he says, this is my body which is broken for you. With the cup, with the wine. This is the blood that's going to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. In that moment, he institutes a new covenant, the new covenant. And a covenant is a, is a commitment between God 
and a people. And a covenant is always initiated by God, never by the people. It is a a holy institution established by God. And so the old covenant, which is the sacrificial system of the lambs, is now a new covenant by the one perfect lamb who is given There no longer has to be sacrifice. There no longer has to be blood on the doorpost. There no longer has to be the lambs that are slaughtered for the forgiveness of sin every year. No, there's one perfect lamb. His name is Jesus. And so his body that he shows, the the bread that he shows at that meal, and the cup of wine that he shows, this represents a new covenant. There's now a once and for all sacrifice that we made. The perfect Lamb of God. And so today, we come to remember, to remember the costly sacrifice that made a way for your salvation. What it cost for you and I to have relationship with God. Not a lamb, not a bull, not a a ram, no. The person of Jesus Christ, God's holy son, the Messiah. He and he alone made a way for our salvation. And so today we come to remember what it took to redeem us. To redeem us because we were, we were separated from God in our sin And Jesus came to pay the price for that, to redeem us, to make a way for us to have relationship with God. And so we remember what it took to redeem us. But we also, even as Jesus says, we look forward with anticipation of one day, one day celebrating for eternity in our heavenly Father's kingdom, where we get to sit at the banquet table the table that we sang about, the, the table where there's perfect healing, where there's peace, where there is joy abundant forever, for eternity, that we get to sit at that banquet table never having to worry about sin and destruction in his kingdom. And so there will be a day when we get to experience that and we get to eat and drink with Christ at that great table. But until that day comes, Until that day comes, we remember. We remember how much God loves us and how much that love cost him so that we might have life and life abundant. And so I want us to bow for a moment and just begin to prepare ourselves for receiving the Lord's Supper. We're going to do a little differently today. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to, at your own pace, go to the table. If you're in the balcony, there's a table there. If you need assistance and you have some mobility issues, if you'll just raise your hand in a moment when we dismiss, we'll have a deacon come to you. This is a time for us to ask God to examine our hearts. For us to to focus our attention 
on the high cost of salvation. And if you're here this morning and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you to participate. But if you're here this morning and you have never received Christ as your Savior, I would ask that you remain seated. This is an ordinance of the church, of the people of God. And so out of respect, we want to respect you and we would ask that you would respect the Lord in this moment. But our hope is that if you don't know Jesus, that this picture of his body and his blood given for you would stir in your heart a desire to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to receive his forgiveness. To know that even though you've betrayed him like all of these men, like all of us have, he still extends salvation to you. And so in this moment, as our deacons prepare the table, I want us to just be still and quiet for a moment. As you feel led, I want to invite you to walk to the table, to take one piece of bread, take the cup, return to your seat, spend a moment with the Lord. And then as you feel led, take the bread, remembering that it symbolizes his body that was broken for you. And then take the cup, the cup of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. And so may we worship him this morning as we remember his great sacrifice.